Welcome to the Crosslands Church Podcast, our mission to help you experience the life with God you've been missing. And now, a message for you. How many of you remember your first job? My first job was uh, when I was in grade five at a vapor route. My first real job where I had to actually show up at a place and punch a card and listen to people that tell me what to do. Uh, I was in grade, just about, I was after grade 12 before grade 13, that's how old I am. And, uh, and I got a job at Kmart, which doesn't exist in Canada anymore, a big department store. And um, it took a while to sort of get my feet under myself and uh, figure out what was going on and, and show up and be part of a, part of a, a retail situation, but also fitting in socially and, uh, and finding identity in that. Uh, it wasn't, I think it, I was there for about a month when my two best friends from high school also applied there and got jobs there. And that's when, that's when things changed. So we goofed around a fair bit. Uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh, I was there for about only two years, just a little over two years. And to this day, if I have a, if I had, have a job dream, I don't, I don't dream about when I worked at the gas station or when I washed cars. I always go back to that department store, and I still to this day sometimes have, have dreams about that. It was uh, in that job, um, I don't know if you have this similar experience, but you, you start to identify with the place you work. We were Kmart store number 5427, and we were better than the one in Bramley, right? Because we're better than Zellers, because we're just better, It's because I'm there. And uh, it was in that job that I first had exposure to a boss that showed me what a boss should be like. So there was all different levels of managers and a, a big hierarchy and, and departments and all other stuff. And, and there was a manager who was the, the second from the top in the store. His name was Paul Reynolds. Uh, we called him Mr. Reynolds, but I think I'm old enough now to call him Paul. And uh, he treated people like they were valuable. He, he was one of those guys that when he told you something to do, you wanted to do it because of who he was and how he treated you. The other managers, ah, not so much. In fact, he, he would even hang out with us socially sometimes. We'd, we'd go for lunch at the mall and he'd come with us. And I remember one time, uh, my best friend that worked there, uh, his, his, his name was Eric, and um, he organized a whole bunch of people to go see Tim Burton's Batman on opening day. This is when you used to go to a theater to see movies. And opening day used to be a really big deal. And we went like a couple of hours early. We were, our group was second in line. And there was about six or seven of us, including Paul Reynolds and, and Al, another one of the managers. We were there, we were probably staying in line, just goofing off for about half an hour or something. And then, and Paul says to Erica, aren't you scheduled to be at work today? And he was. And he never mentioned it after that. It was like, yeah, I'll deal with it later. This is, this is when we're, we're hanging around as friends or whatever. And, and I think he was one of the first people that sort of set, set the bar for what, for what being a manager or being a leader was like, for me, anyway. It was uh, when I dropped out of university, I, I, I started working there full time and uh, very quickly became a manager there. And I remember even before I was a manager, I remember one time, uh, we would always have sales coming up and they would, they would be flower, flyers and we would see the flyer like three weeks, four weeks ahead of time, sometimes even longer. And Mr. Reynolds came up to me as a, as a part-time high school student. And he said, we have this sale coming up. And we're, we have these stereos on sale. That was my department. He said, how many of these do you think we could sell? I said, probably seven or eight. But they're crap. We'll probably get them all returned. And he said, it doesn't matter. Sell as many as we can. It doesn't matter if we return them. And that was the first time I thought, there's something really short-sighted about this, where we're less concerned about the bottom line, actual profit, and how many things we're selling, there was a full-time person in the store that, that uh, only dealt with returns. All the stuff that would come back, 
and they would send it back to the company and get money back. And I, and I thought at that time, I, I don't know how sustainable it is, and guess what? I mean, Kmart doesn't exist in Canada anymore. So, yeah, I don't know how stable that, or sustainable that is. And I remember when I went full-time, I started looking around at the people that, that were lifers there, and, and there's nothing wrong with working in retail. But it was the first time I looked around and thought, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I don't want my identity to be retail. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I strongly recommend, uh, if, you, if you're coming to the end of high school, you look at university, especially if you have bad work habits, okay? Get a job in retail for a year because it'll motivate you to get more education. <laughs> Helped me to some extent. But we're in the series, Who Are You? And about how our culture doesn't offer adequate tools to people in order to find their own identity. We've talked about quite a few things over the past few weeks. And today I'm talking about how your job gives you a certain identity, whether we like it or not. And so as our culture doesn't offer solid tools to find your identity, especially these days, my claim is that Jesus offers better tools to our culture for people to find their, their identity. When we want to share Jesus with people, our old story of guilt, forgiveness, heaven isn't working. But the identity question is a huge question in our culture. So how does your job give you identity, for good or bad? It was very, very early in the days of Crossland's Church. It was before I was even here. Uh, and, and so we were a new church plant. There was a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement. And I heard about this after the fact that we had, a, we had a visit from somebody that lived locally, and it made a, well, it was a bit of a sensation. His name was Curtis Joseph, and everybody's excited. And some of the people were, um, you know, watching from a distance. Let's, you know, not pressure him, feel comfortable. Somebody, some people went right up to him. You know, oh, it's so great to see you. I just want to meet you, maybe get your autograph or something like that. Well, we'd have new people every week. Didn't do that to them. Why? Well, because Curtis Joseph was a star, Cujo. And so he gets extra attention, extra privilege because of his job. So you see what happens there. And we, we might say, yeah, but I don't do that. I don't identify myself that way, and I certainly don't identify, identify other people that way. Uh, I work as a pastor full-time. Um, it used to be a job, a position of respect in our culture. Uh, there was a survey about 12 or 13 years ago, came out of New York State, and um, it, it listed professions and careers in order of respect. And pastor came up in that survey just above used car salesman and pimp. Okay, we're living in a different day. And so for me, sometimes I'm hesitant when people say, what do you do? How do you describe that? So I remember one time, I mean, the, 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 the place where careers are evaluated, okay, school reunions. Now, I didn't go to my public high school reunion, but I went to my Christian school reunion. Because if anybody's going to respect you being a pastor, it's there. So we were like from, from way, way back. And there were very few of us old timers there, and uh, maybe only three or four. And I was there, and my brother was there. And we went and we approached the old uh, principal. And uh, of course, he remembered us from being troublemakers back in the day. And, and, and I thought, like, here's where I'm going to shine. Because coming out of a Christian school, what better could you do than be a pastor in the same denomination? And so we both went up to the principal and shook his hands. It's great, great to see you. And, and he said, now, which one of you is on the radio? Yes, my brother. That's what matters, right? I'm not saying it doesn't, okay, because he's watching today. 
Um, but we identify ourselves by what we do, and we judge other people by what they do. And so it's a big identity piece. It informs our identity. Why do we work? Why do we work at all? Why do we have a job? For me, it, it's, it's always been because you have to, right? Some people make a, a strong identification with when you work, money appears in your bank account. The more you work, the more money you have. I've never really had that. So people that are really ambitious want to make a lot of money. They work better. They work harder. Pursue advancement. For me, it's always because you have to. So the second thing is if you don't, you can't pay the bills. You work because you have to pay the bills. It's a big deal, right? Uh, for other people, it's personal ambition. I'm going to work. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to be ambitious. I'm going to strive. I'm going to make more money. I'm going to get more position. And then other people think I, I'm working because I have to provide for my family. It's not just about money, but I have children's support. I have a, a spouse to support. I have a house to pay for so the family can live in there. And all those things can be wrapped up together. It's not like everybody has just the one. This is where we find identity. I, I've told this story a number of times here. Probably at least two or three. And so if you've, uh, if you've heard this before, you start getting bored. Um, if you're here in the room, count the ceiling tiles or something like that. And if you're at home, then play a game on your phone. But there's a, there was a, a few hundred years ago, there was a, a nobleman who was walking, uh, riding, because he was a nobleman, he was riding a horse. He was riding by, by a stone quarry. And he saw uh, a stonemason chipping stone. And he said, what are you doing? And the guy says, I'm cutting stone. On a hot day, I'm, I, have to, I have to live out here and, or, or work out here under the hot sun and, and cut stone. That's my job. And he kept on walking along, walking his horse along, and uh, he saw another stonemason who's cutting stone. And he said, what are you doing? And the stonemason said, I'm cutting stone to earn money to provide for my family. What a difference between the motivations. Anyway, he kept on walking his horse along. He saw another stoneman, stonemason. He said, what are you doing? He said, I'm building a cathedral. They built cathedrals in the Middle Ages. It would take 300 years. It was a grand view, a, a large view. It was something that we, we kind of miss in our culture today. We don't always have that, that long view. You know, a building's put up in a couple of years if it takes a long time. That's his work, to build a cathedral. What does the world offer when it, when it comes to work? It, identity, survival, ambition. Maybe care for people around you, your family. Some people work to, to make the world a better place. There are a lot of people, Christian and non-Christian, working in charitable organizations just to make the world better. It's a bigger dream, a bigger actualization of, of who you are. When it comes to the Christian perspective of work and how it forms our identity, from the very beginning, the idea of work is that work is worship. When Mariah came up and introduced the service, she talked about how you know, we're going to sing songs, which are, it's worship, it's an expression of worship, it's an outward expression of worship. But from the beginning, God created mankind, we talked about this in the first identity message, maybe the second one, God created humanity to be in his image, to reflect him. And when we work, we're actually reflecting God, who works. God put mankind in, in, in the garden, this is the, the archetypal story in Genesis, to care for the world, to turn wilderness into garden. The garden was placed in the middle of the wilderness. There's wilderness all around. But, but the goal of mankind was to tame the wilderness and make it fruitful. Be fruitful and multiply. 
That's the example. In, in John 5.17, Jesus says this, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I, too, am working. When we, when we work properly, when we work as worship, we are reflecting our Father in heaven. We emulate the creator. He's not just creator, he's also restorer, redeemer. When we build, when we care, when we fix, when we create. I think I've referenced this verse in one of the previous messages, and I'm going to do it again. 1 Peter 3.15, it starts by saying this, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Now, that's the New Living Translation. Other translations would say you must sanctify or consecrate or set apart Christ as Lord. In fact, he says, in your hearts, in the center of your being, recognize, set apart Christ as Lord. So generally speaking, that means master. But it is, it's, this is not just a, uh, something that Peter is writing this letter and saying this in a vacuum, in a, in a cultural vacuum, because he's referencing, he's calling back to a verse in Isaiah 8, 13, says this, make the Lord, and that's his actual name, when it's in capitals in your translation, make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. It's the same language there in the original. You sanctify the God of armies. Set him apart. Make him separate. Make him special. He's the one you should fear. He's the one who should make you tremble. When Peter says, set apart Christ in your heart as Lord of your life, he's saying, Jesus is the highest God. Recognize him in your heart. The center and aim of your being. In every part of your life, including in your work. He's saying that about Jesus. Jesus is the highest God, uh, the highest God, center name of your being, more than money, more than ambition, more even than family. This is what worship is, putting Jesus at the center of your life. So when Mariah started the service today and said, we're going to sing songs, and, and um, uh, Ashley said, we're going to sing songs, we sing songs as an expression of worship. Now, there's a quote I've heard, I've mentioned it many, many times here, and it's by a, um, a famous pastor named uh, Wade Cassell, and he says, how you live is your highest act of worship. So we express worship in our, in our art, in our songs, in our coming together and, and singing praise to God. That's an expression of worship. But how you live is your highest act of worship. Now, that's true whether or not you worship God. How you live demonstrates what you worship, demonstrates who you worship. If the center of your being, if the center of your life aim is your own advancement, your own status, you will reveal that in how you work. If the center of your aim, if the center of your being is your own family, you will reveal that in how you work. But if God, if Jesus is the center of your aim and the center of your being, you will reveal that in how you work. How you work is an expression of your worship. Our work is worship. Now, Peter doesn't end there because our work is also witness. In the second part of the verse, he says, if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So here's how it practically works out. In our work, when we worship God, there will be a distinction to how you work. And sooner or later, somebody's going to notice that. Sooner or later, somebody's going to ask. The question is, what do you do when they ask? Because we live in a culture where your spiritual beliefs are expected to be private. 
we tend to shut up. We tend to be closed-mouthed about it. We tend to be a little bit maybe fearful about expressing the reason for our hope, expressing the reason that we work the way we do. And when you do that, you mislead people to think you're just nice and a good worker. But when we are prepared to explain the hope when people ask, your work goes from worship to witness, where you connect what you do and how you do it to the reason that you do it, which is Jesus himself. Your work is worship and your work is witness. Here's a quote from a book. I'm going to give you a couple of quotes from this book today, and I've, I referenced it quite a bit earlier in the series. It's called Gaining by Losing by J.D. Greer. And he says this. He says, serving Jesus at work is about doing your work for the glory of God and the benefit of his creation and leveraging appropriate opportunities to make disciples through those relationships as you go through life. There are people in your workplace that um, you are the only person at Crossland's Church to have access to that person. There are people that you work with that nobody else here would know. For most of you, not everybody. Some of you have access in relationship to people that nobody else here will ever have access to, and they, you may be the only connection to Jesus that they might have. So when you work as worship, and when you work as witness, there's opportunity there that only you have. So there's, a, there's an old word. We don't use it very much today. We use it, we use it for people that take jobs that don't pay much. And, and the, the word is vocation. So people would say, uh, you know, somebody says, I'm going to quit my job in, uh, in the stock industry and I'm going to work for a charitable organization. Well, that's a vocation because you don't do that for the money, working for a charitable organization. And the, the word vocation uh, means calling. I mean, you could see the similarity to vocation and vocal. Right? It, 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 um, it comes from a Latin word that means a summons. You've been summoned to a job. We, we use that in, in our industry, in the church industry, that, that you respond to God's call, God's calling. And that's because nobody in their right mind would want to become a pastor, right? Some people, maybe. But uh, we have a joke at home that Michelle married me for my money, which is the biggest mistake she ever made. Um, but because you have a purpose in work that's beyond your paycheck, God's purpose for you, beyond your paycheck, you, you yourself, whatever your job is, you have a vocation. You have a calling. Whoever your boss is, whether you like your boss or don't like your boss, they're not your ultimate boss. They're not your highest boss. Your highest boss is Jesus. So you, you're not working just for a paycheck. You're not working for, just for your own ambition. You're not even working just to support your family. Your job is a calling. It's your worship and it's your witness. Some people might say, well, I don't have a job. I'm a homemaker. Well, that's your job. How are you worshiping God in that? And maybe the only opportunity for witness you have is your children or your children's friends' parents. Great. Maybe that's what God is calling you to be prepared to have an answer in that context. Maybe you're retired. Same thing. You don't do nothing when you're tired. In fact, I don't believe Christians really retire. Maybe you, maybe you stop working for another organization, but you're always still working for God. Whether you're collecting garbage or researching medicine, 
whether you're bagging groceries or designing buildings, whether you're cutting hair or selling footwear, each one of us is called by God to work as worship and to work as witness. Your vocation goes beyond your paycheck. Here's a, a, a last quote from the book Gaining by Losing by J.D. Greer. He says this, Thus, if God has given you secular skills, those quotes are in the quote, um, if God has given you secular skills in business, banking, painting, landscaping, medicine, art, law, or the like, understand that there is nothing second class about them. God uses your vocation to care for his world through you. As you work, you're being used by God in his original mission. I learned in my first job that um, the company didn't hire me for me. They were not doing me a favor by giving me a job so that they could give me money when I showed up. They hired me to benefit the store. They hired me to generate sales and keep the shelves clean and later on to manage some of the other employees. That's what I was there for. I was there for their benefit. Now, I got a benefit too. There's something reciprocal about that. God doesn't put you in your job just for your benefit. God doesn't put you in your job just for the benefit of the company. He has a purpose, a vocation that goes beyond your paycheck for worship and for witness. I forgot to mention at the beginning, if you have a text message, then uh, send it. And, and so nobody did, so that's fine. Um, maybe you feel like your job is a dead end. Maybe you feel like you just can't get, wait to get out of your job. If you, if you connect with God, your creator, to find out what his purpose is for you, even if his purpose is for you to leave that job and find another one, because that happens, it changes everything about how you work, about how you see your work. And maybe, maybe you're struggling because you don't have a relationship with God at all. And if that's you, I want to challenge you to realize that your identity doesn't come from your job. If it's a good job or a bad job, you are not who your job says who you are. You are who God says you are. And whatever you're doing as work, God has a purpose for you that goes beyond your paycheck. And so if you don't have a relationship with God, I want to challenge you to, to jump into that. See, see, the story is that we, God created us to reflect him. But because of our own rejection of him, whether that's conscious or subconscious, whether we grew up with it or not, we miss the mark on what we were created to be, on how we were created to live. And there's nothing that we can do in order to get there. And so what we couldn't do, God did for us. So the biblical story is that Jesus came in order to make the way possible. And we don't have to earn it because Jesus gives it to us as a gift. He went to the cross. He went to his death in order to overcome our inability to hit the mark of our life. And he didn't just, he didn't just die and, and go into the ground, but he rose again, triumphing over death, our ultimate enemy. And so to, to become a follower of Jesus is to step into the life that has the potential to meet the mark of how God intended you to live. We don't have to earn it. I heard, I've said many times that there's nothing we can do to make God love us more. But there's also nothing we have done that makes him love us less. He loves completely. That's why he gave Jesus freely for our benefit.
And so how do you step into that? It's as simple as ABC. It's A, admitting your need. My identity is compromised because I don't have that relationship with God. I need that. I am not hitting the mark on my own. I need a better boss than my boss. I need, I need to step into the vocation at my work that goes beyond a paycheck. And then B is believe. And believe isn't just a mental assent, it's a trust. It's a trust that God has for you, the life that you can't reach on your own, that was effected through Jesus' death and resurrection. That's the trust. Yes, this is the path. And then C is to commit, to step into a life of worship with Jesus as the center and aim of your life. That means saying no to the old life. I don't live the way I used to live. I'm not my own boss anymore. My boss isn't my boss anymore. Jesus is my ultimate boss. I do what he says. I live the life that he has for me. And if this is something that you need to do today, and everybody needs to do it at some point, because the consequences are both in this life and eternally, then I want to lead you in a prayer and, and make these words your words. Father in heaven, I admit, I acknowledge that I'm not hitting the mark. I'm certainly not hitting my potential. That I, I undermine myself, I sabotage myself over and over and over again. And there's nothing I can do about that on my own. So I'm acknowledging your gift of Jesus to me today. I'm choosing to trust in Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and I'm choosing to commit my life fully to you today, to make Jesus the center and aim of my life. I pray that my life will be a life of worship to you and witness of you. Amen. And if this is a decision you're making for the first time today, I, I want to challenge you to connect with us. We're a community of followers of Jesus here at Crossland's Church. None of us does this perfectly, but we must do it together. And so go on to crossands.live on your smart device or computer or whatever, and, and click the Follow Jesus button. Give us your contact info so that we can give you next steps in this spiritual journey. What we do is tied to who we are, and we were made to live a life of worship and a life of witness. None of us is defined by our job, but we all have a vocation wherever we work. And so my challenge to each one of us today is to, to look at work differently. Whether you go into an office or where you, whether you're working at home, uh, whether you see yourself stuck at home or whether you enjoy working at home, we work differently when we understand God to be our boss, when Jesus is the center and aim of every part of our life. How you live is your highest act of worship. Let's close in prayer today. Father, I thank you that your desires for us are the best. I pray that this week, each one of us would reevaluate how we work and who we're working for. As we go about our jobs, remind us that it's not just a paycheck. It is not about our own status or position, but that you have called us to what we're doing specifically for your purposes in the world. And Father, as we engage with that, I pray that we would work better, we would be fulfilled in our work, that what might have been drudgery would be something that we would do with passion because we understand that it is worship to you. And Father, I ask that this week, each one of us would have the opportunity to be a witness for you and that we would be prepared 
to share the reason for the hope that we have in you. Give us the words to say, give us the boldness to say it. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Crosslands Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or the Google Play Store so that it comes straight to your device. And to find out more about Crosslands Church, you can visit us at crosslands.ca. Join us next week for another message to help you experience the life with God you've been missing.